Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and something that absolutely blows my mind is that up until about 16 years ago, you could do that in a bar, like inside. You would go home, and the next day you'd wake up and your hair reeked, and your clothes that were like in the corner of your room would just overwhelm your senses when you woke up the next day. That, of course, was back in the days of, you know, George W. Bush and England holding the Rugby World Cup and all that. Well, it's not such a happy year for smokers who now face a bill of more than $20 for a pack of cigarettes. The price of cigarettes and tobacco may go higher still after this month's budget, with the Prime Minister refusing to rule out yet another rise in the excise tax. And the impact of this is going to be particularly high amongst low-income communities who are traditionally the most responsive to price increases. Oh, no, I don't like it, but it will make me cut down, definitely. Now the government is coming to a final push towards the long-heralded smoke-free 2025 goal. In a plan to stub out smoking by 2025, the government's looking at completely banning the next generation of adults from smoking with a staged phase-out. A bevy of new proposals aimed at stamping out the smokes once and for all, from drastically cutting the number of tobacco retailers to curtailing the amount of nicotine in cigarettes to a possible outright ban on anyone born after 2004 from ever buying tobacco. So, today on The Detail, exactly how effective has our strict, and some would say punitive, approach to eradicating smoking actually been? And what are the chances that these latest ideas will actually work? Janet Hook is a professor at the University of Otago's Department of Public Health. I asked her to tell me a bit about how the smoke-free 2025 goal first came up. Okay, well, it uh, goes back a long way in time, more than a decade. Um, In 2010, the Māori Affairs Select Committee uh, held an inquiry into the tobacco industry in Aotearoa and the consequences of tobacco use for Māori. An inquiry into the tobacco industry's effect on Māori has heard that Māori babies are dying at a disproportionate rate, with more than half of them not being properly protected from the dangers of smoking. Dr Marewa Glover is the University of Auckland's Director for Tobacco Control Research. She says the prevalence of smoking among Māori pregnant women is high at 45%. Now, the committee who submissions from throughout the country and it produced in November 2010 a really far-sighted report and the first recommendation on that report was that the government set a goal of halving tobacco consumption and smoking prevalence by 2015 across all demographics and that it have a longer-term goal of making New Zealand a smoke-free nation by 2025. So when a select committee prepares a report, the government has to formulate a response to that. So in 2011, the government issued a report uh, where they agreed to the midterm target. Um, So that was six years ago now, where smoking prevalence should have been halved. And they agreed to the goal of becoming essentially smoke-free by 2025. Uh, But while it was great to have the goal announced, the sad thing was that there was never a plan to follow up on the goal So apart from really courageous and committed politicians like uh, Dame Tariana Turia and Hone Harawira, the goal was just hardly mentioned. The Associate Health Minister Tariana Turia has announced further controls on tobacco sales. 
Retailers caught selling cigarettes to minors could be hit with an instant fine of up to $2,000 instead of being taken through the courts as happens now. Shops will not be allowed to use the word tobacco in their name and the government is to keep an eye on Australia's plans to have cigarettes in plain packaging with no branding by 2012. What was the the plan, I guess, were there, were there measures that we kind of enacted to, to help us get to smoke-free 2025? Um, well, the sad thing was that there wasn't a specific plan. Um, so that's not to say that we didn't have policy action occurring. And so people like uh, Dame Tariana Turia, she uh, spearheaded the plain packaging legislation that we had in New Zealand. New Zealand is a step closer to plain packaging of cigarettes, with legislation passing its first reading in Parliament with just one opposing vote last night. We have 5,000 people who die a year. Um, it's unacceptable. We have huge numbers of people who have smoking-related diseases. So I think we're on the right track. We have had other measures like ongoing excise tax increases. So it's not that nothing happened, but what we needed was a coordinated strategy and a formulated plan that clearly set out the measures that were going to lead us to 2025. So 2011 that this goal comes in. What were smoking rates like in New Zealand around that time? Look, they they were high. So um, the the data from 2009, which is around the best data that we can get for that time, showed that that time current smoking uh, for Māori was 44% and it was 18% for non-Māori. So around 40% of Māori men were smoking and nearly 50% of Māori women uh, were current smokers. So that means that they were smoking at least once a month. And if we have a look at the non-Māori, population. We had about 20% of non-Māori men and 16% of non-Māori women smoking. So uh, I guess what these figures show us is just the incredible toll that smoking has taken on Māori and why it's so important that the goal has this component that it has to be reached for all population groups. So we don't want to fall below 5% in general. We want to see that reduction achieved equitably across every population group. What are smoking rates now compared to when we set this goal? Smoking is about uh, just under 14% in the population. Um, So it's 31% among Māori, according to the most recent data that we've got. And among European New Zealanders, it's around 12%. So it's coming down. uh, But as you can see, the disparities are are not changing quickly. And no group is close to the 5% uh, goal, which, of course, is a maximum. We've set or defined 5%, but ideally we're trying to get as, as close to zero as possible. Why is there such a disparity between Māori and non-Māori smoke? I mean, do do we have any research into that? That, that, It seems like that is quite an important question here. Yeah, it is a really important question, and it's a very complex one to answer. It's probably one that some of my Māori colleagues would be much better placed to answer than me. But, I, I mean, 
my understanding is that it, it follows on um, the effects of colonisation, the displacement of land, the loss of status and well-being that followed. Um, and smoking, uh, of course, was never part of Māori society. So smoking and tobacco were something that were introduced uh, during colonisation and became part of the trade with Māori in exchange for land and uh, uh, you know, other attributes. Um, so it's a very complex question to answer, but um, smoking has really become part of the burden that Māori have borne post-colonisation. Māori women have the highest smoking rates in New Zealand, nearly three times more likely to smoke than any other population group. Being a single mum, having to look after my and raise my children on my own, um, yeah, I just, you know, as long as I had my cigarette and coffee, I managed being a mum, being a working mum, what's my outlet? Serious smoking is my outlet. Keeps me sane, keeps me going. I can't afford to feel guilty. I can't afford to think about how much I waste in terms of money. I can't afford to think about the cancers that I potentially am going to get. Tobacco was first introduced to New Zealand in the 18th century when it was used as a standard tool for trading. It became much more popular throughout the early 20th century when the mass production of cigarettes made them much more accessible as well as their use as currency during the World Wars. By the middle of the 20th century, that's about the time when tobacco use peaked in New Zealand, smoking was identified as the leading cause of lung cancer and heart disease. Broadcast advertising of tobacco products was banned in 1963. Health warnings began to be displayed on cigarette packets in 1974. And by 1979, tobacco was defined as a toxic substance. Workplaces and airlines were made smoke-free in the 80s. Tobacco sponsorships were ended in the 90s. And by the early 2000s, a bevy of anti-smoking health programs were in force. Smoking in bars was finally banned in 2004. RNZ's Wallace Chapman was there the day it ended. I knew that this is quite history-making. I knew that I was in the midst of history. So I took my camera along, my film camera, and I filmed the evening. <laughs> uh, and so I had these pretty epic photos of all my mates smoking. I wasn't a smoker. Uh, drinking beer. Now, Janet Hook mentioned earlier that one of the reasons for reasonably sluggish progress towards smoke-free 2025 was the lack of a rounded plan. But there was one lever the government pulled which has proved effective and controversial. Smokers will have to pay more for their cigarettes today after an overnight excise tax increase. The tax on cigarettes rose by 10% at midnight and 24% for loose tobacco. There will be two more 10% increases, one next January and another at the beginning of 2012. This policy eventually ran for a whole decade. A 10% increase on tobacco every year for 10 years. A pack of 20 cigarettes will now set you back the best part of 30 bucks. We know that price is a really important policy lever and as I've mentioned until now it's been the only one that we've used consistently in New Zealand um, but we also know that people who smoke they often have many challenges that they're managing in their lives and that includes um, having lower incomes and I guess that's 
why for us it's been so disappointing that the excise taxes haven't been used to try and help people quit and then stay quit. Now we know that people want to quit and we know that many of them are trying to quit. So we, we know that levels of regret among people who smoke are over 80%. So over 80% of people who smoke wish that they'd never started. Around half of people make what we call a serious quit attempt where they're smoke free for around 24 hours every year. So we know they want to quit. We know they're trying to quit. We know that they're asking for more intensive support. So it just doesn't make sense that these excise taxes that people who smoke are paying aren't being used to help them become smoke free. When it comes to changing behaviour of people, you can go for the carrot, you can go for incentive-based behavioural change, or you can go for a stick, which is sort of, you know, the idea of punitive-based behaviour change. And it really is the stick, isn't it? You know, the price of cigarettes has gone up tremendously over the past 10 years or so. And given the demographics of, of smokers... Yeah, it is. But look, I'm, I'm really interested that you've mentioned the idea of a choice. Um, and because most people who, who are smoking today have not made an active choice uh, to become addicted to smoking. And I think we need to, to go back and look at the kind of context in which people take up smoking. So for a long time, um, people who smoked really weren't making a choice because tobacco companies were doing things like denying that nicotine was addictive. Even though their internal studies, their own data, show quite clearly that it was. They've done things like argue that secondhand smoke isn't harmful, and they've really done their best uh, to criticise robust scientific evidence and to discredit researchers. So I think what, what's happened is that people have become confused. I mean, policy makers, they start to wonder whether the research evidence really is robust, and people who are smoking and who have become dependent on nicotine they're wondering, well, you know, is, it, is smoking really as bad as it's been made out to be? Because there are all these questions that are now being asked about it. That's really fascinating that you say that. I mean, we've known that smoking, well, that smoking causes cancer and causes heart disease, you know, for more than half a century now. We know that cigarettes are addictive. We know why they're addictive. Surely there is an element of personal responsibility that comes into this, isn't there? You know, like how much more information can you really give people? I think what we need to recognise is that people don't make rational choices. And a lot of the information that's, that's out there uh, assumes that people are going to access that information, that they're going to be able to reflect on that information. And at the very point when they're offered a cigarette, that that information is going to be the most salient thing they're thinking about. That It's just not what happens in the real world. Young people are in social contexts. They might be drinking. The normal cognitive defences that we might expect to come into play are simply absent. And so we need to think much more about the context in which smoking uptake occurs and the kinds of environments in, in which smoking occurs. And I think that's exactly why policies are so important, because they can target those environments and change them. Janet Hook might have wanted more than just price increases, but the price increases have been pretty effective. The percentage of people who smoke has decreased by more than 60% since 1976, and there's been another 30% plus drop since 2007. Among 15 to 17-year-olds, it's down nearly 80%.
Māori and Pacifica still smoke a lot more than European or Asian New Zealanders, but the smoking rate among Māori has fallen below 30%, according to Smoke Free NZ, and for Pacifica it's under 20%. And now, a host of new measures proposed by the Associate Health Minister, Dr Aisha Verrill, including one that's controversial and has its doubters. We gradually increase the age of purchase restrictions, so it's currently by one year every year, so that that means eventually, say you'd have a group of people who wouldn't legally be able to purchase until the age of 25 or something. This came as a surprise to Green Party co-leader James Shaw. It looks kind of pretty out there. He says he's never seen it used before. Today is literally the first time I've ever seen that as a policy solution to anything. And one independent NGO says it won't make a dent in smoking rates. Action for Smoke Free 2025 director Deborah Hart says they don't support the initiative. We already have a smoke-free generation. But Janet Hook backs it. I think that's a really important idea because it will protect young people. And what it also means is that once we get to the goal, um, we're, we're going to stay there. So we're going to have a cohort of young people coming through for whom smoking is simply not part of their lifestyle, not accessible to them. So we'll reach the goal and we'll have in place a measure that ensures we stay there. The smoke-free generation aspect of that is is really, really fascinating, isn't it? Because, I mean... My understanding of it, correct me if I'm wrong, is that essentially it would mean that anyone born after 2004 will never be able to buy cigarettes ever, which is, I mean, essentially that's a that's a ban on tobacco. Yeah, I think what we need to do is, is again, to look at the bigger picture because we need to look at what addiction actually means to young people and how it compromises their freedom. And as I mentioned, we've studied whether young people make an informed choice to smoke, and they simply don't. So I think we really need to be turning this around on its head. And instead of saying, you know, why is it um, that, that we're not allowing these young people to buy cigarettes, the real question is, you know, why should young people be able to buy what's a lethal product that's that's going to kill two-thirds of its long-term users? So we need to be asking why it is that we still allow a product like that to be sold in around 6,000 retail outlets. We'd never let a product like tobacco be sold if someone was trying to introduce it today. So I think what the plan is trying to do and this particular measure is trying to do is to fix an anomaly and protect young people. I mean, but there isn't there is a little element of paternalism here, isn't there? And and that's not necessarily saying that paternalism is always bad. You know, we also we tell people that they definitely can't kill each other. But like, ah, I, you know, it, this does fall into that dicey sort of territory a little bit, doesn't it? Well, I think, as you said before, we have to recognise that there is no other commercially available product like tobacco. So we need to have a, set, a special set of rules that recognise that once people become addicted, they have an incredibly high level of regret. As I said, more than 80% of people who smoke tell us that they, they wish 
they, they weren't smoking and that if they could live their lives again, they wouldn't smoke. So we need to recognize that very high level of regret and put in place measures that help those people achieve the goal that they actually want to achieve, which is to become smoke free. Other parts of, of the plan propose reducing nicotine levels in cigarettes down to very low levels. Um, which is really has the potential to be a game changer because it will make smoking non-addictive. Or would it just put further stress on smokers? Salah Hart is Chief Executive of Māori Health Advocacy Group Hapai Te Hauora and is concerned reducing nicotine in cigarettes will hit poor people who are the biggest consumers of cigarettes the hardest. That's quite a contentious area because we don't want that to have a financial impact or an impact on those whanau thinking that they might have to purchase, you know, multiple packets more just to get that same hit. Smokers will also have to go further to hunt down their ciggies. The plan proposes drastically reducing the number of tobacco retailers. Currently, between five and 8,000 stores sell tobacco in New Zealand, most of them in low socioeconomic areas. The government proposes to cut that number by about 95% and possibly limiting tobacco sales to specialist stores and pharmacies, while also making sure all retailers are licensed. And I think that's really important because we know that tobacco is much easier to get in neighbourhoods where people are not so well off. Um, so smoking is really increasing the burden that these people carry. The plan also seeks buy-in from Māori. It looks at the tobacco control system and acknowledges that Māori need to have a much stronger voice in shaping policy and that we need to have much better information about the impact that different policy measures are having. But the Māori party would like this plan to go further. We need some aggress more aggressive policies in place to ensure that those things happen. And I think the supply is one of those areas. Uh, taking nicotine, 95% uh, of nicotine out of cigarettes, I still don't think that's aggressive enough. OK, so what else is in there? It proposes getting rid of filters, uh, which we know represent a major environmental threat. Um, and it also proposes uh, establishing a minimum price and doing more of things uh, that we should be doing anyway. So things like increasing social marketing campaigns, uh, making sure that the salience of being smoke-free is maintained, that people are still being encouraged to quit and to try and get support for quitting and, uh, and increasing the support. Do you think we're at a good place at the moment to achieve the smoke-free 2025 goal? I think if we introduce the ideas that have been set out in this plan, then we have a realistic chance of achieving the 2025 goal. If you could, would you ban all tobacco tomorrow? Well, I think... That in a sense, that's an unrealistic question to ask. Um, in an ideal world, of course, we would never have a product like tobacco, um, but we don't live in an ideal world. So uh, while we, we wouldn't allow it if somebody was to come up and invent it today and, and propose introducing it, I think what we instead need to do is deal with the situation that I've outlined, incredibly high regret and a high desire to, to become smoke-free among people who smoke. So it's difficult now to ban a product once it's, it's become as widely infiltrated as tobacco has, but I think what we can do instead is 
is to set in place measures that will support the people who regret having started smoking and that will protect our future generations. And consultation on the new anti-smoking proposals closes at the end of May. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Flo Wilson and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Dr. Janet Hook. Matewa. <laughs>